Hi again, everybody. I'm Dan Horde, and thanks for downloading the Bengals Booth Podcast, the When You Wish Upon a Star edition, as we devote an entire episode of the podcast to a player that many of you are wishing for with the fifth overall pick in this year's draft, LSU wide receiver Jamar Chase. You'll hear from his high school coach back home in New Orleans, the voice of the LSU Tigers, NFL draft expert Daniel Jeremiah, and Sam Monson from Pro Football Focus, who has Chase ranked as the best wide receiver in the last two NFL drafts. And we know how good last year's class was. The Bengals Booth Podcast is presented by Bud Light Seltzer. Refresh the game. And here's a quick reminder that you can have the latest edition of this podcast delivered right to your phone, tablet, or computer by subscribing on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, or Podbean. It's the greatest thing since Mick Cronin taking UCLA to the Final Four. Mick has been my friend for roughly 20 years. As the Bearcats radio announcer during his 13 years as Cincinnati's head coach, we celebrated memorable wins together, shared a ton of laughs, enjoyed great meals, and traded parenting tips since my son Sam and his daughter Sammy were born about five months apart. I am thrilled that Mick is getting praise from coast to coast for the incredible job he's done with this UCLA team and is finally being recognized as one of the top coaches in college basketball. Furthermore, I couldn't be happier for his dad, Hep, his right-hand man, Darren Savino, and all of the UCLA folks with Cincinnati ties. You know the old saying, good things happen to good people. Well, Mick Cronin is good people. And mark my words, this is his first trip to the Final Four, and it won't be his only. Now, time to turn our attention to 21-year-old Jamar Anthony Chase. Jamar attended Archbishop Rummel High School in Metairie, Louisiana, a suburb of New Orleans, and played for a coaching icon named Jay Roth, who led the school to 12 league championships in his 24 years as head coach. Jay, do you remember when you first became aware of Jamar and, and what your initial impressions of him were? Yes, I do. His first game as a sophomore, he set a school record with four touchdown receptions and over 200 yards receiving as his, in his first game as a receiver. And uh, I knew we had something special. <laughs> it sure sounds that way. Did you adjust your style of play to take advantage of his ability? Yes. Going into his junior year, we went to a spread offense a no-huddle spread offense after what I saw he did as a sophomore. And it's like, you know, seeing that you have a 1,000, 2,000-yard running back, I saw that we had a receiver that was one of the best athletes that's ever come through the school. And we, we literally changed our offense, yes. What was he like to coach? He was like every other young man, uh, except he was a star in his own right, but a humble star. Never once knocked on the door and said, Coach, I want more touches, or never had Dad come in and complain about anything. Uh, I mean, he holds all the receiving records at Rumble, but um, he's just a team player. I mean, he when he won catching, he was blocking his butt off. Whatever we needed, he did. He, he was just a pleasure to be around. And, you know, in, in this day and age of athletes being uh, to where they concentrate on one sport, Jamar came into Rumble. He played football, basketball, was a state champion track, you know, long jump, triple jump guy. So, I mean, he was, he was a, he's a true athlete. We're talking to Jay Roth, who is Jamar Chase's high school coach. What do you consider his best trait to be? His strong hands and his physical attributes. Just a physical, strong weight room guy. 
and strong hands. I mean, he could just grab a football and latch on to it. He could take somebody and block them and just bury them in the ground if, if he wanted to. And, you know, people had trouble pressing him at the line of scrimmage because he was just so quick and so strong. And he, he had deceiving speed. You know, I never saw him get caught. People always might have said, you know, he's not a 4-2, 4-3 guy. Well, that's fine, but ain't nobody ever caught you more. There's days at Rommel and at LSU. Was recruiting insane? Yes. I mean, you know, he committed. Poor guy. He was committed to maybe two or three schools. Uh, you know, he started as a junior, and he was Kansas, and, you know, Florida. Then Florida had a coaching change. You know, Auburn quartered him hard. And then, you know, LSU got that man in the end. We're talking to Jay Roth, who coached Jamar Chase in high school. I know you coached some great players there. You won multiple state titles. I think former Bengal Seathan Carter was one of your former players. Where does Jamar rank among the great guys that you coached? He's in the top two, top two or three. Um, we had Kevin Steltz was a – Craig Steltz was an All-American at LSU, third-round draft pick at the Bears. And, you know, Jamar is going to go down as the greatest, to be honest, because he's going to be one of the top – five top seven picks in the NFL draft, you know, Boletnikoff award winner. So he's going to be, he'll be up there. He'll be the greatest. I'll say that. I'm sure you watched a lot of the Joe Burrow to Jamar Chase connection a couple of years ago at LSU. What did you think when you watched those two play? Well, you had a guy, a quarterback that knew how to get rid of the football and knew who he was throwing to. And I heard he was just a fantastic teammate. And uh, the receivers just loved being in the game with him because everybody had to pay attention because you didn't know who was getting the ball. You know, Joe was going to throw it to the to the person who was open and the person he, you know, he just didn't have favorites. So watching them execute and have that great year at LSU was a pleasure. Obviously, a lot of Bengals fans are intrigued by the notion of reuniting those two at the NFL level. Did you see any sort of special connection when you watched them play? I just saw two guys that were NFL ready, to be honest with you. I mean, that's what I saw. They were just, you know, the offensive numbers they put up that year at LSU up until Alabama's last team last year were just phenomenal for a college football team. And, and that's what I saw. Guys were just going to be on the same page at all times. How do you think Jamar will adjust to NFL life, not only on the field but off it? To be honest, I think the year off, this is just me, my opinion, I think the year off he took has prepared him. You know, he's been away from home. He's been training as a professional. You know, he's been training for the NFL draft. So I think the year off has prepared him and given him time to get right to this NFL life he's about to take on. Do you have a favorite memory, a favorite game, anything else uh, that specifically comes to mind when you think of the the time you spent coaching him? Well, probably his last game he played um, this senior year. It was a playoff game against Bird High School in Shreveport, Louisiana. He caught four touchdown passes and he hurt his knee. And we went to the semifinals and got beat 14-7. Knowing that if we probably would have had Jamar healthy, we would probably advance to the state championship and no telling what would have happened. But uh, he was injured in the fourth quarter, but we actually used him more than I've ever used him. We put him in a wildcat, scored a touchdown running the ball. So it's like it, it, took me, it took me three years to realize, you know what, you better put the ball in this guy's hand as much as you can. And, uh, and, and in that game, he got hurt, and he wasn't there for the state, state semifinal game. So with the trade that was made last week, with the 49ers moving up to the third pick in the draft, it looks like the top three picks are going to be quarterbacks. Atlanta goes fourth, the Bengals go fifth. If Jamar Chase is there at number five, what would you advise Cincinnati to do? 
I'd advise anybody to take Jamal. I'm talking about the number one draft pick. Whoever's picking first, bypass the quarterback, take Jamal. That's what I'm saying. (laughs) (laughs) From Rummel High School, it was on to LSU, where Chase's two seasons in Baton Rouge were also Joe Burrow's two seasons with the Tigers. As a true freshman, Jamar had modest stats, 23 catches, including three for touchdowns. But as a sophomore, he had one of the best seasons in college football history with 84 catches for 1,780 yards. That's more than 21 yards per catch. And Chase hauled in 20 of Joe Burrow's 60 touchdown passes. In the national championship win over Clemson, Jamar had nine grabs for 221 yards and a pair of touchdowns in what turned out to be his final college game as Chase elected to opt out last season due to COVID-19 and began preparing for the NFL draft. This week, I spoke to the radio voice of the LSU Tigers, Chris Blair. Chris, our timing is perfect. We are speaking a few hours after Jamar Chase wowed the scouts at his pro day today, particularly by running a 4.38 40-yard dash. What's the reaction in Baton Rouge to what Jamar did this morning? Well, number one, nobody seems to be surprised, Dan. And, and number two, it's just, boy, oh, boy, what could he have done had he decided to play for the Bengal Tigers of LSU this past fall? Of course, uh, opting out for his uh, junior campaign. But, you know, he's a favorite son of Louisiana. And, and of course, what he was uh, a part of in 2019 will always etch his name uh, very close and very fond by uh, Tiger fans. So uh, an impressive showing. But, again, I guess the first takeaway is you're – you're excited he comes out, performs that way in front of the scouts. Um, and, and, and again, I think the biggest takeaway is nobody's surprised at all. They expected him to, to show up and show up well. Chris, you were behind the mic two years ago for Joe Burrow's Heisman Trophy winning season, and that also saw Jamar Chase win the Bolitnikoff Award as the nation's best wide receiver. What's top of mind when you think about that Burrow to Chase connection a couple of years ago? Well, you know, it's interesting, Dan, that, you know, you guys uh, were getting together and talking again this year. Last year, uh, prior to that, we were talking about Joe Burrow. Uh, so, far, so far, I'm one for one with Bengals uh, <laughs> fans, so I feel pretty good. But, but you can feel that way when you're talking about Joe Burrow and then following it up with Jamar Chase. Those two were uh, certainly lined up together. Um, you know, it's one of the things that Joe talked about uh, going into that 2019 season was – Again, arriving in 2018 as the transfer quarterback, he went immediately to his skilled players on offense along with his offensive line, and they had to bond. And the receiving group in 2019, which Jamar was a part of, and Joe Burrow, they just seemed to be almost using telepathy. They they were always where they needed to be. Uh, Ran crisp routes. Jamar was certainly a a very good route runner. Uh, But when plays would break down and Joe would be able to an extended play and move the pocket, uh, it was Justin Jefferson and Jamar Chase who, who just knew where to be, knew where to find the crease, and, and, and Joe knew where to go with the football, and those guys more times than not were there. Uh, so the relationship, uh, I know a lot of people have been having fun on social media about Joe really pulling for the Bengals to bring Jamar Chase. It's not only because I think they're very good friends. I think it's because he understands the type of weaponry that Jamar Chase would add, not only to Cincinnati, but really to any team. He's just that type of player. And his background and his work ethic show uh, the numbers bear out. I mean, that's, he, that is just who he is. We are talking to the voice of the LSU Tigers, Chris Blair. Those numbers speak for themselves, but what can you tell us about Jamar as a person, a teammate, a leader, et cetera? 
you know, it's it's interesting. Just a couple of weeks ago, uh, obviously with spring football getting underway here at LSU, uh, the receiving core room already talking about their plans for the summer of 10,000 passes. And Jamar Chase, and that's one of the traditions, very new traditions at LSU, and it was created by Jamar Chase, along with help from Terrace Marshall, who will also be going into the draft this year, and Justin Jefferson, who by my humble opinion was robbed of Rookie of the Year for Minnesota last season. But those three guys got together in the time they could work just individually and got out the jugs gun, and they, they upped the, the velocity on the footballs and, and they took 10,000 passes over the course of the summer. Uh, and, you know, it was an attempt to make sure that if the ball was within grasp, they had a good chance of hauling it in. And when you look at how that translated, uh, number one, to Joe Burrow's accuracy, number two, to the number of catches and touchdowns and yards that Jamar Chase had, along with Justin Jefferson and Terrace Marshall, um, it kind of set the bar now for LSU receivers. So I think when you talk about, Looking at him coming out of high school, one of the top prospects in the state of Louisiana a couple of years ago, rated a four-star prospect. His work ethic took him from being a four-star, which, again, is is very, very good, uh, to being the top of the class and a Bolitnikoff winner. So it's it's a lot in the same conversation you and I had about Joe Burrow. It's His approach to the game and the preparation of the game has been pro-like uh, really since 2018. And certainly he ramped that up in 2019. But, you know, he kind of was the architect of the summer of 10,000 passes. And, you know, when LSU's coaching staff and the other younger receivers who were coming up in the program, they look at how that type of dedication, not with the coaches, not with the staff, all on their own time, led to a phenomenal year as far as offense and receiving offense in 2019. So, you know, 10 years from now, when they're talking about the summer of 10,000 passes, everybody can thank Jamar Chase. <laughs> he's uh, he's kind of the father of that. That is awesome. The summer of 10,000 passes. It's like Malcolm Gladwell's 10,000 hours, but uh, 10,000 passes instead. Chris, do you have a favorite Jamar Chase moment and or story? Anything along those lines? Yeah, I think it was, it was coming off the Ole Miss game. You know, several teams... You know, once we got about mid-season in 2019, they spent the entire week, the opponent that is, trying to figure out, okay, which poison are we going to take away? Uh, and more times than not, it was Jamar Chase. And I had a chance to talk with him, uh, do a couple of interviews throughout the season. And I asked him following the Ole Miss game where he didn't have a, a great game. It's because they really put bracket coverage on him uh, for, for the entire game. They just said, we're going to take Jamar Chase away. And nobody was more thrilled for the performance that both Justin Jefferson had uh, in single coverage. Also, Marshall had a pretty big game in the slot. And then Clyde Edwards-Elaire was able to really pick up some solid running yards that really allowed LSU to come out on top in Oxford on that Saturday. And when I was talking about Jamar Chase and talking to him, I was asking him about what it's like when you know a team's going to try to take you away and he really didn't even go into that. He talked about how everybody gets a chance to eat on this LSU team, and they're so talented that he just sat back and laughed that they were going to put all this emphasis on him, and LSU still was going to eat them up, rack up a bunch of yards, and go on to victory. And I'll never forget after we were done, I told Jamar, I said, you know what, that's a very – I'm impressed. That's a very mature way of looking at things because at that point of the season, he already was on the Bolitnikoff list, and so was Justin Jefferson. So 
for him to be able to say, hey, we knew we were going to win because my guys are going to pick up the slack. And if they get bracket coverage next week, then it's my time to step up. And he certainly did when that would happen. So uh, I was just impressed with his maturity at that age with so much of the spotlight on him. But yet he knew this is a team effort and we got our eyes on going undefeated and winning the national title. And anything less than that wasn't going to be satisfactory. We are talking about Jamar Chase with the voice of the Tigers, Chris Blair. This is a podcast about Chase, but let's talk briefly about Terrace Marshall because he also ran a 4-3-8-40 at his pro day on Wednesday. He's 6-3. How good of an NFL prospect is Terrace Marshall? An excellent prospect. You know, in 2019, he was injured and missed, I think, three and a half games to start the season. And he was well on his way again. Jamar Chase would go on to be second in SEC receiving yards in a season and second in touchdowns. And at the beginning of the 2019 season, it looked like Terrace Marshall. He, he had not scored a touchdown in 2018. He got his first career touchdown in the first game against Georgia Southern in 2019. And then for the next two games became a touchdown machine. Um, and then when he returned and was healthy again, he, he was certainly one of the, the focuses of every defensive coordinator is, okay, which guy do we take away? And, what do we do if we have to leave Terrace Marshall on an island? And, you know, it's interesting in that 2019 season, Justin Jefferson was kind of pegged as a slot receiver, uh, which I remember talking to Joe Brady, who's now at the Panthers, talking to Steve Ensminger, who's the offensive coordinator at LSU. And they all laughed and they said, we could put Marshall in the slot. We could put Chase in the slot. We could move each of them to the outside. They just have that type of skill set. And, and Marshall with his size and again, Earlier today at Pro Day, just watching those numbers from Kerry Vincent, from Jamar Chase, from Terrace Marshall, all of those sub-four numbers was was really incredible to see when you look at the size. And I go back to the summer of 10,000 passes because Marshall was a part of that, and he's got such good hands. I have watched Jamar Chase and Terrace Marshall. Everybody in the stadium knows they need two yards, and they're going to go for the quick slant and they'll have a linebacker hanging off of them. A corner will try to cheat up and jump the lane. And they have such strong hands that if the pass is anywhere near their body, they pull it in and nobody can deflect it. And that's, to me, what stands out about Marshalls. He's got good soft hands to make the catch, but he's got strong hands once he has the grasp. And, uh, again, when you're that big and you got that type of speed, it's really going to allow teams to put him out there in one-on-one coverage and, and stretch the field. So I think he's got an excellent toolkit to have a successful career in the NFL. Chris, in Cincinnati, we were obviously heartbroken when Joe Burrow suffered his knee injury last season. I'm interested to hear what the reaction was like in Baton Rouge. Oh, it was the same. It, it was absolute heartbreak. I mean, you know, considering a kid that grew up in Ohio and means so much to his uh, hometown, it, it is the same in the short period he's been in Baton Rouge. The, that's the way everybody feels about him here. I mean, I would love, I'm sure Cincinnati has the numbers on where their jerseys were sold going into the uh, 2020 season, and I guarantee you there's a giant spike when you look in Louisiana. There were uh, Joe Burrow, Cincinnati jerseys all over the place here. Um, people were watching, I dare I say, if the Saints and the Bengals were playing at the same time on TV, you had you had a lot of homes that were watching Cincinnati and they would catch up with New Orleans later because they wanted to watch Joe Burrow play. So when he went down, it was devastating. But I remember talking to a number of people, in fact, my neighbors, who said, you know, the work ethic he's shown, uh, he's going to be back, he's going to be stronger, he's going to be better, he's going to be smarter 
having gone just through that short stint of the NFL. And uh, so to see those videos of him getting back and working out, had a chance to see him in Indianapolis covering uh, the NCAA tournament a week before last. Uh, He looks good. He looks excited. So everybody's going to be right back on the Bengals train again when (laughs) football comes around this fall. All right, final question for the voice of the LSU Tigers, Chris Blair. If you polled Cincinnati Bengals fans right now on who the team should select, number five overall, you'd probably get a pretty even split between Oregon offensive lineman Panay Sewell and Jamar Chase. You are obviously uh, not a neutral party in this debate, but what do you think selecting Jamar and reuniting him with Joe would do for the Bengals? Oh, I think it would be a shot in the arm offensively. I mean, there's no question about it. I mean, knowing enough about football, no expert by any stretch of the imagination. Also watching Joe, I can lean a little bit uh, towards, you know, beefing up that offensive front uh, to protect Joe back there so he can do and use his skill set. But without question, I think, you know, just in the same way Justin Jefferson uh, you're talking about a young man who maybe was a three-star in a couple of evaluations coming out of high school. Those two remind me of each other in simply the way they attack the game and prepare for the game. And you look at the natural-born talents that Jamar Chase possesses, which, again, he's a little ahead of the game than Justin Jefferson. I think he's the type of player, whether he's in Cincinnati or wherever he goes, uh, is going to be an impact player in year number one. So if I'm Cincinnati – looking to really boost that offense and add another tool to the weaponry. I think at the end of the day, I probably go ahead and say, maybe we can use other avenues to beef up the offensive line, but to miss and pass on bringing Jamar chase, who in 2019 was by far the best receiver in college football. uh, I'd go with Jamar chase. Chris, this is becoming a fun tradition. I look forward to reaching out next March and quizzing you about (laughs) uh, the Tigers top prospects next year. No doubt about it. They certainly uh, have a great program here. they got some great talent. All you have to do is watch Sundays uh, in the fall, and you'll see tons of former LSU players. So it's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me on again. And and, and best of luck in uh, 2021 with Joe. Before we continue with our deep dive look at Jamar Chase, we remind you that the Bengals Booth Podcast is presented by Bud Light Seltzer. It's light and refreshing with a hint of fruit flavor. A few weeks ago, I devoted an episode of this podcast to Oregon offensive lineman Panay Sewell. If you haven't listened yet, it's the Bad Case of Loving You edition. And as I stated then, interviews from his high school and college connections weren't likely to include many criticisms. In the final two interviews on this podcast, we get a pair of unbiased opinions. Up first, NFL Network draft expert Daniel Jeremiah. In his most recent list of the top 50 prospects in order, he has Chase rated third behind Clemson quarterback Trevor Lawrence and Florida tight end Kyle Pitts. For what it's worth, Daniel Jeremiah has Sewell ranked 12th. I recently took part in a Zoom call with Jeremiah where a reporter from Detroit, the team with the 7th overall pick, asked Daniel to identify the top wide receiver in this year's draft. To me, it would be Jamar Chase just because of everything he can do. I think a lot of times when you're watching receivers, um, 
you see guys with, uh, you know, guys that can win with separation and quickness and you see guys that can win with physicality, you know, and kind of contested catches. And when you watch him at LSU in 2019, you see examples of both where he can separate from people off the line of scrimmage. He can separate at the top of his route. Uh, he plays big uh, to go up and get the football. And then after the catch, he, he gives you that, that strength and physicality break tackle. So, um, he's to me the best receiver in the draft. Um, I, I can't imagine he would be there, but man, that would be a home run pick for the Lions if he was. And then I, I wouldn't have any issues with the other two either from Alabama. And I think it's kind of a flavor thing with Waddle and Devontae Smith. Uh, Waddle gives you a little bit more juice, but Devontae Smith plays plenty fast as well. Um, Devontae Smith is a pristine route runner. Uh, he's obviously, everybody knows, is real thin, but man, he's really long armed. He can go up and get it as well. I just thought, you know, what you get after the catch with some of the uh, the shiftiness and then just the home run speed from Waddle is why I ended up with Waddle over Smith. And, um, you know, GPS stuff's going to be big this year because, you know, we haven't had as much uh, verified numbers. And talking to some teams around the league, um, Waddle had, the, had the, the fastest GPS of any receiver in the country. So it's not just your eyes aren't deceiving you when you watch him. He's, he's freaky fast. In his most recent mock draft, Jeremiah had Chase going number three overall, but that was before Miami traded the pick to San Francisco. Now it looks like the top three picks are likely to be quarterbacks. Atlanta picks fourth, and Matt Ryan turns 36 next month. Will the Falcons also go for a QB? If so, the Bengals could have their choice of Chase, Sewell, or any non-quarterback in this year's draft. Our final conversation is with pro football focus analyst Sam Monson, who recently published a detailed profile of Chase for PFF. Sam, let's start with the data and then get to your film study of Jamar Chase. What do the PFF numbers tell us about his play at LSU and his chances of excelling in the NFL? Yeah, I mean, the numbers are, as you would expect, that season that he had in 2019 was absolutely incredible just from a, a raw um, box score number standpoint. And it was equally as impressive whenever you dive further. It was a phenomenal PFF grade. Um, he showed some incredible play after the catch, some incredible play at the catch point as well. It was, it was a, a season every bit as good as it looked just from the raw numbers. Of the various things that PFF grades where wide receivers are concerned, is there anything in particular that best projects to the NFL? Really what you would like to see is a guy getting it done against NFL competition. Um, I don't know if there's one specific area or subset of play that, that indicates, you know, a greater transition. If you've got guys who a huge percentage of their production come from kind of scheme touches, whether it's screens or those kinds of things, maybe that would give you pause, but I don't know if there's a general subset that is, is dramatically more predictive, but I do like to see if a guy has done well against elite competition and guys who are going to be playing in the NFL and that season that Jamar Chase had absolutely qualifies for that. If you actually look at the sequence of cornerbacks that guy played that year, it's, it's stocked full of NFL talent. Um, a bunch of guys that were in the draft last year, Patrick Sertan, um, who's going to be in the, the draft this year. And like he didn't slow down. If anything, he beat up on those guys harder than he beat up on just regular college cornerbacks. We're talking to Sam Monson from Pro Football Focus. Let's turn to your film study. What were your biggest takeaways from watching all of the Jamar Chase footage that you did? The biggest takeaway really is that 
there aren't weaknesses. I mean, he doesn't really have any negatives. Um, and even when you're actively looking for them just to try and nitpick, it, it's difficult to find anything to have a real problem with. And, you know, we're reaching the silly season of the draft evaluation period where everybody is pulling apart any possible prospect and, and coming up with reasons to dislike them. And, you know, you're going to hear that the Jamar Chase can't separate or that he doesn't win with route running. And I don't think it's true. I think occasionally you're going to find a play where somebody gets his hands on him a little bit too easily. And occasionally you're going to find a play where he doesn't separate the way um, you would like, but it's not like it's a regular occurrence. It's it, everybody has flaws. You know, Randy Moss was criticized for taking plays off and in between the plays where he was lighting you up for an 80 yard touchdown. So yeah, like there's some plays on Jamar Chase's tape that are not phenomenal, but the, the body of work is incredible. The biggest knock on Joe Burrow as a rookie was the lack of deep ball success that he had. How much difference do you think Jamar Chase would make? Their connection that year was incredible. And really, it wasn't even a negative. Just one of the things you did notice when you were going through Jamar Chase's tape is how many of these passes from Joe Burrow were absolutely just ridiculous, like placed into where they should be to the point where despite not having great separation on the play, it didn't matter because the ball just landed in his hands in a way that didn't even require adjusting from Chase. You know, a lot of times you can deal without great separation if the receiver makes a better adjustment at the catch point than the corner and sort of gets himself a little half yard of space to make the catch. But Chase wasn't even needed to do that. He was just sticking his hands out and the ball was dropping in them. So it, it did make part of his evaluation a little bit tricky because Burrow was just dropping in so many incredible, perfect passes. But now that's a great thing, right? If they have that kind of connection, if that wasn't just a fluke that year, you, you pair the two of them up again and suddenly you might have a, a giant jump forward in Burrow's deep production. We're talking to PFF analyst Sam Monson. You've got Jamar ranked as the number one wide receiver in this year's class. How close is it with the other top guys, Devontae Smith and Jalen Waddle? I do think it's very close between Chase and Devontae Smith. Um, I, I think those two guys are one and two for me. Um, I, the PFF draft guide actually has Waddle, I think, still ahead of, of uh, Devontae Smith. I haven't checked the update as of yesterday. Um, but I, I think it's really close between Chase and Devontae Smith. But Devontae Smith has that issue of, you know, he plays at 170 pounds and tells everybody he's playing at 170 pounds. Like, this is not a guy who's going to come in, add 20 pounds of muscle in an NFL weight program and, and be 190 and you can deal with it. He's going to be playing at 170 and believes that the tape speaks for itself uh, for him in that regard. And I think he's right, but that has to be a little bit scary. Um, and in particular, when you have a Jamar Chase in this draft class, you know, you're not left with he's head and shoulders, the best receiver in this class. We don't have any choice but to overlook the fact that he's 170 pounds because nobody else comes close. You know, Jamar Chase is, is right there. They're very, very close together. So the fact that you have this little unknown, this little area of, of being scared of that weight for, for Devontae Smith, I think would make you default to Jamar Chase, you know, pretty much every time. The Bengals were able to pick up T. Higgins in the second round last year. How deep is the wide receiver pool if they don't use a, a pick on a wide receiver at number five overall? I think it's a lot like last year. I think it's really deep. I think it's really talented. There's a lot of incredibly good wide receivers in this draft as well. And interestingly, 
you know, you, you start thinking about what kind of receiver Cincinnati would like. And given the guys they already have, I, I think they would like somebody that does bring a slightly different skill set. Now, Jamar Chase is good enough at everything that he's, it, it doesn't matter. Like he qualifies across the board, but, you know, maybe in the top of the second round, um, I think there's a lot of wide receivers that are more skewed towards that speed and a potential vertical uh, skill set that isn't necessarily there in the group they have right now. So actually the top of the second round is potentially a great place to get one of these wide receivers and concentrate on, you know, somebody like a Panay Sewell in the first. Who are some of the vertical guys that you like that would be available in the second? I'm really intrigued by somebody like Rondell Moore. And I think that the, um, the, the class is still, or the jury's still out on exactly where he's going to go. You know, a lot of people still have him as a first rounder. A lot of people are, uh, a lot of other people are dropping him below the likes of, um, you know, some of the other wide receivers that are popping up. And, uh, but if he, he's been a very interesting evaluation because he's a very gimmick type of receiver. He, he didn't really run an NFL route tree at all in college. Almost everything he did was um, screens or, or, just ways of getting the ball in his hands in space, but he has the ability to run that vertical route tree, particularly from the slot. You know, if you're going to use him in the slot, the way the chiefs use Tyree kill and just run him at safeties and terrify defenses because of it. Um, I, I think he's potentially a, a much scarier pro- prospect for a defense to contend with than guys like Elijah Moore from Ole Miss who are potentially jumping in on him on some draft boards right now. Months ago, I would have said the vast majority of Bengals fans were hoping that Panay Sewell would be the Bengals pick at number five. Now it seems like it's a pretty even split, Sewell or Chase, with a few people holding out for Kyle Pitts. Where are you right now, a little less than a month away from the draft? I think it's pretty close. I I don't know that it's one of those great positions to be in where I don't think you're wrong either way. You know, if you pick a Panay Sewell or Jamar Chase or even a Kyle Pitts, I don't think you can be criticized for the move. I think either way you're getting one of the three or four blue chip prospects in this draft that aren't quarterbacks. Um, And I don't think any of them necessarily prohibit you from coming back in the second round and getting a good player as well. There's only one Kyle Pitts. And and I think there's a steeper drop off a tight end than in the other positions. But, you know, if you, I I would default to taking a Panay Sewell because I think the gap between him and um, he's a potentially generational tackle prospect. And that term gets thrown around all the time, but I think he might honestly be that. The, what he did at 19 years of age with his size um, in, in college was just ridiculous. Like you don't see tackles doing that. So I would grab him. I, I think the, the second round is a great place to be for wider receiver help as well. I think you can come back and, and get a player that will be an impact guy in the second round um, and have a great, draft that way uh kyle pitts would be the intriguing one because you know whatever about panay sewell being a generational player like we have not seen a player like kyle pitts hit the nfl maybe ever i mean mm-hmm. he might be genuinely special in terms of being able to play tight end or x wide receiver both to an extremely high level and anything in between i can see a good case to say look you're you're never going to find another kyle pitts so we take this guy and deal with the other positions later on. But it's it's a smaller need, I think, than the other two. For people that are interested in learning more about Jamar Chase, you wrote an awesome scouting report about him based on your film study. I highly recommend it for everybody uh, that's trying to make up their mind between Chase, Sewell, 
or pits. The debate will continue. Sam Monson, thanks very much. Appreciate your time. Thanks for having me. I've now devoted entire episodes of this podcast to Panay Sewell and Jamar Chase. Have you made up your mind? Or are you hoping for an episode devoted to Kyle Pitts? We'll see. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode of the Bengals Booth Podcast, brought to you by Bud Light Seltzer. Refresh the game. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe. And if you have a minute, give it a rating or share a comment. That helps more Bengals fans find this podcast. I'm Dan Horde, and thanks for listening to the Bengals Booth Podcast.